couple weeks have passed. Welcome to another edition of the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast alongside the Blackhawks Chelsea blogger, MrNHL.com. Scott King, I am your Blackhawks pre- and post-game host, Chris Bowden. A couple weeks have passed. Some news has developed. We'll largely talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs as well. But first, first and foremost, your traffic situation this morning, Scott. Not a good one. No. As, is summer ever going to come in Chicago? First, I don't know. It was. It's. It wasn't the weather. There was construction on like every stretch of two ninety and ninety ninety four for some reason. Then when I got off early, people uh, not driving to the best of their ability here. Oh come get, on, that never know? happens. You know, stop. Uh, no, stop. I gave myself plenty of times, but uh, it, it was a pain. And I'm glad I'm here. And they got, they got us the uh, big studio. We do. For today. Very, very nice. It's almost live. And uh, speaking of traffic, let's uh, catch up with a guy in traffic right now. My radio partner, along with John Weideman, the Blackhawks analyst on uh, WGN Radio here. Troy Murray. Troy, thanks for doing this. You're on your way to O'Hare to pick up uh, one of your daughters. Uh, How's your traffic? And I guess more importantly, how's the golf game going so far this (laughs) offseason? The weather has not allowed me to play golf, so the golf game as it stands right now is non-existent. Um, the traffic actually on 294 uh, heading north is not too bad where I am right now. So uh, you just wait. Keep my fingers crossed. Troy, you're supposed I, to be my. I got to go from there into the city. I got to go from there into the city, which I'm not looking forward. No, to. it's brutal. Yeah. You pace yourself. All right, so let's <laughs> let's talk a little uh, Stanley Cup, and we'll get into some Blackhawks conversation as well, but. Uh, as we record here on Tuesday morning ahead of Game 6 in St. Louis tonight again between the San Jose Sharks and the Blues, Sharks banged up. You never count a team out, but to what degree do you expect uh, St. Louis to close things out? And how impressed were you with their response to what happened to them in Game 3? I've been very impressed with St. Louis. And in talking to the, the Blues and the, the coaching staff, um, during the regular season when the Blackhawks played them right at the tail end of the year, uh, you, you could really see that they had something special going on there for a team that was dead last at the beginning of the new year you know, to where they are now, one game away from the Stanley Cup final. They've got something pretty special uh, going inside that locker room. I think Craig Berube, the slash interim head coach, there's no way they're not going to give him the head coaching job next year. Um, how phenomenal of a job he has done with that team has, has been amazing. And I think that sometimes you look at uh, coaching changes in, in St. Louis. Uh, Mike Yo was down there. And, and you look at teams that were underachieving. You know, some teams just aren't good. Um, and some teams are underachieving. And when you look at the St. Louis Blues, when they made the coaching change, everybody was going like, wow, we looked at this team in the summer. With all the changes that they made, the, the centermen that they brought in, the depth of the of the uh, uh, you know the lineup was was pretty solid. Their one question was was goaltending, and now that you've got Bennington playing as well as he has um, to finish off the regular season, the second half of the regular season, and then the playoffs, uh, they've got the, the opportunity here to do something very special. And, and I can't see. Uh, as you mentioned, Chris, as banged up as, as San Jose is right now, I know that they're going to give it everything that they got. But you know, if you can't have your, your captain Joe Pavelski playing and a couple other key guys, um, yeah, I think it's going to be awful tough. I think St. Louis is just riding at a pretty emotional high, and, and I love what Craig Berube said about that uh, controversial play that ended the game, uh, game three. He said it is what it is, and he, he's a guy that has been there before. He's played the game. He's not going to worry about it. There's nothing you can do. We all know that it was a, a missed call. It happens, and that's the way they approached it. And I think that in some ways they used that as a rallying point that said, 
hey, listen, guys, I mean, let's not let that play right there, that, that call or missed call. Let's not have that define our season. And we moved on, and they've done an excellent job. Speaking of goaltending in this series, Troy, on the other end, is it is it fair to say maybe even before all these injuries started to happen that San Jose's goaltending in Jones would kind of maybe revert to form? Maybe he's been overachieving a lot in these playoffs. It looked like St. Louis maybe started to solve them even before the injuries. Is that what you saw? I think that for, for Jones, he didn't finish off the season well, and there was some speculation that, man, you know, this was really going to be a bad spot for uh, for San Jose moving into the postseason. Well, first couple of games didn't uh, take any away from the detractors of, of his play, and he just seemed like he was losing his net a lot, and uh, his positioning wasn't great, and pucks were bleeding through him, and, and that certainly isn't uh, what you need if you want to go and win a Stanley Cup or go on a deep run. Uh, but everything kind of turned around there. He played well. Uh, right now, I, I think he's he's lost a little bit of that mojo, a little bit of the confidence that he has. And for whatever reason, Bennington has, has been able to just push aside any outings that he has that have not been great. He hasn't lost back-to-back games in, in how long. He's been amazingly consistent. And that's all St. Louis was asking for. And, and they're getting it. And, and right now, San Jose needs to have Martin Jones to step up and have one of his best games. Just a quick thought on how Game 3 ended. Uh, what, what are some of your thoughts? Uh, again, there have been so many officiating issues in key situations throughout these playoffs, and I want to get some of your thoughts on how this might be addressed. You obviously don't want to keep slowing the game down, but there's also the matter of getting things right. Should there be almost a separate way of doing this in the regular season compared to the playoffs with what's at stake in the playoffs? Although, you know, the way the regular season and the point race goes, you almost can't you almost can't exclude it from the regular season with the way points are so precious, too. Uh, boy, and that's a great question and it's highly debatable where the NHL goes from here you know the, the spirit of all these rules that they've changed over the years have kind of morphed into some other issues um, the, the offside is, is one I mean they, they put that into to miss a to catch a blatant offside not to have an inch or two uh, or a centimeter or is the blade off the that was not the spirit of, of you know putting in the offside challenge and but to the letter of the law it is what it is you go back to the, the horse racing at the Kentucky Derby I happened to be down there was watching that you know is it right is it wrong it had never happened before did the horse violate the rules that were in black and white Yes, he did, and that's where the stewards just kind of had to make a decision. He said, we can't say that this isn't an offside because it's an offside of the way it is. Were there other factors involved into that uh, with the Kentucky Derby? Absolutely, but they had to make the call, and and now you look at hockey and where they're at. The the situation that happened with Vegas and San Jose, a five-minute major penalty. Yeah, you can say, listen, we, we let five goals in. We didn't kill the penalty properly. Um, the penalty should have never been handled or given out that way. Are they going to make some changes to that? I, I don't know, uh, Scott and Chris, where this ends. You know, my opinion is I'm not a big fan of, of the review process as it stands right now. I, I Listen, the game is human error. And at the end of the season, you're going to have calls that go with you and calls that go against you. It is what it is. But mm. now that you've kind of gone to this point where – we want to get the calls right. It's not a perfect game. It never will be a perfect game. It happens too fast. There's too much involved. 
don't try and get it perfect. But when you look at this situation that could have easily been rectified in, in the in the thirty second video, listen, it's a hand pass. We missed it. All mm-hmm. four guys on the ice missed it. Um, but maybe every one of them was blocked. Who you know, whatever the reason was that, that they didn't see that. Um, but I, I just I'm very leery about trying to implement more video review to get the call exactly right. And I, I know that there's going to be people complaining, but uh, my goodness, I mean, you know, where where the game is at right now, it's a pretty good game. And listen, the referees do a great job. I'm the first guy to, to criticize them when they, when they make a, a wrong call during the, the broadcast. That's my job to point out that they've made mistakes, or in my mind, they've made mistakes. Right. Um, but it's a very, very tough job. And I think overall they do a fantastic job. You know, San Jose had no problem with the call. You know, on the flip side, St. Louis had a major issue. Um, San Jose had no issue on the, the Vegas call. Um, you know, Vegas did. You know, and when you get an apology from the league, you, you know that they've messed up. But it is what it is. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't want more reviews in the game. Or if they do, maybe you have to put a, a clock on this or something. If it's not definitely something that you can, you can pick out within a certain amount of time, you got to keep the game rolling. Hey, well, but but there's there's the problem again, Chris. If they want to get it right, they've got to take yeah. the time to get it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you say, well, gee, just because we we didn't look at it close enough. And we've got a time limit here. Well, I mean, you might as well not have it then. Yeah, yeah. It's a slippery slope, right? Yeah. Um, it, it is. And that's why it, it's such a debatable uh, topic right now with all the modern technology that's come into the game. You know, I'm sure there was a tons of things that happened back in my day where they had one referee, two linesmen, you know, no video review, no video tapes per se. Um, I always had my guy, and it was never my fault. That's the way it was in my mind because nobody could prove it other than that. Um, but, but, you know, everything that they're having here, does a puck cross the goal line? It's like, my goodness, for the amount of calls that it really affects at the end of the season, uh, are we overthinking it? I don't know. This is the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast, so let's, let's uh, kind of steer this toward a Blackhawks talk, too. As it relates to the playoffs, are there one or two lessons – that the Blackhawks uh, should take from what we have seen in these playoffs thus far. A couple things that really stand out to me, and I guess this isn't new, but having those two pair, the four guys you can put out there defensively against any matchup that you can trust is one thing that seems to be a a string that runs through these teams that have gone deeper into the playoffs. And the other thing is you look at these fourth lines for St. Louis and for Boston. I know in free agency everyone has their big splash wish list. Stan needs to get Panarin. Stan needs to get Skinner. Stan needs to get Duchesne. But there are also some pieces out there that when you look at the successful teams in these playoffs where you can roll three and four lines, um, is that a lesson the Blackhawks can take, too, in, in building their roster here in the offseason? I'm not going to try and you know play Stan Bowman here, sure. um, but I think that if you look at it, you know the Blackhawks as it stands right now aren't deep enough, um, probably on, on both ends, the forward side and the, the defensive side of it. Um, you know, you, you look at your core group of guys that are still remaining. Um, Taves and Kane had career years. DeBrinket had 41 goals. I mean, that, that should be a basis right there to, to, you know, have the foundation set in the, in the right direction. I, I loved what Ken Hitchcock talked about with the Edmonton Oilers. 
um, and you can relate it to the Blackhawks. You know, they've got Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, Kane and Taves, you know, in the same breath type of thing. You've got elite world-class players. Ken Hitchcock said, you know, you can turn around the Edmonton situation in a relatively short time by getting the right bottom six forwards. Every team is looking for a Taves and a Kane. But what the Blackhawks need right now is to try and figure out how they can and get guys that are on your bottom six that are, as Ken Hitchcock said, no maintenance players. You know exactly what they're going to bring each and every night. There's no question marks as far as their character. There's no question marks in how they're wired um, as far as how they compete. And I think the Blackhawks need to find that. You don't have to worry about your bottom six guys, and you shouldn't have to worry about them if you get the right type of players that are going to come and, and supply that each and every night. And that's what you're seeing with these teams that are still in the playoffs. And the Blackhawks had it for so many years. You know, the Ben Eagers, the Adam Burrishes, uh, uh, Jamal Mayers, those type of players that were there, and you knew that they were wired to come and compete and give it everything that they got each and every night. But there was no gray area with those guys. They, they were all in. On the defensive side of it, I think that you're looking at these teams right now, and, and man, the Blackhawks need to find a way to keep pucks out of their net. Um, you've got great goaltending uh, with the Blackhawks, and what you had last year. You know, Cam Ward's numbers weren't great last year. But he played well. He played really well. There was a lot of issues in front of him, and I think you you have to address that. Even though you've stockpiled a lot of young players, you need some players that are going to defend uh, defend the right way. And I think there's some priorities that Stan is looking at to add, uh, uh, you know, something to the mix of their top uh, four in the defensive side. They have to get better in that area, I believe. And and, and find a way to get some better depth because they've got the ability to score and put pucks in the net, uh, but they have to find a way to have the third and fourth lines, your bottom six, more involved in the equation. Troy, in building the team, you, you kind of figure this number three pick in this year's draft is going to play a big part in that. It's been kind of interesting to see who people are, are drawing and, and looking at as to who that could be because one and two are so clear. You know, you have uh, Bowen Byram, the defenseman people like. I've always liked Dylan Cousins, and now a lot of people talk about Alex uh, Turcotte. Who do you like for that pick and why? Well, again, you know, and I do read a lot of the articles and stuff as far as, well, the Blackhawks have drafted depth heavy here on the defensive side of it the last several years. Um, but I think that when you look at um, uh, Byram, he is a legit one, too, mm. um, in, in a lot of people's mind. I mean, he is a legit one, too. Um, and, and you need that player moving forward. I think that he's probably the next best player available. Now the decision that the Blackhawks have to make is is they need to find something up front that is going to complement this group for a lot of years to come. They they, they don't have the, the depth on the front side that they have on the back side with some of these young p- uh, potential defensemen. Um, you know, you look at the size of Doc, you look at the size of Cousins, 6'3", six, 6'4", and they're uh, those centers. Are big, those are, and they're centers, and they're big <laughs> players, and, and they can play. Um, you know, Turcotte is a center as, as well, and I think that that's a, a, an area where Stan has to look at, the Blackhawks have to look at, uh, you know, for the future. If you think that Taves and Strom are here now, you know, where are you going to be in a couple more years? Uh, where's Anisimov fit into the equation? Can you find a cheaper version of him that, um, you know, can find that role? Your fourth-line center, you know, you're always looking for depth down the middle, and I think that's where St. Louis really addressed maybe some of their key issues, uh, picking up uh, O'Reilly and then picking up Bozak, really adding 
a complete new dimension to the, the middle of the ice for them. And I, I think that that's, you know, an issue where if you're Stan, you're, you're kind of in a tough position because you know that you want to add some positional players. But at the same time, I think that when you look at uh, Byram, I think that if you were to draft Byram and, and you know, all points, everything points in the right direction. This kid is a, is a no-brainer as far as the defensive side of it. He competes hard and, and has skill and, and puts a puck in the net. Uh, great offensive ability as well. I don't know if you can pass up somebody you know, who's maybe the next best player, even though there's a, a little bit of a cloudiness around you know, who is that next best player. Um, and it's a tough decision. Um, and if you do that, then you've also got some strong assets on the back end uh, that you can move to find some other pieces. Everybody is looking for, um, and I'm not saying, I'm just saying the pieces that are out there, uh, you know, with Gustafson, the offensive side of it, uh, Boquist, uh, Bodan, Ian Mitchell, you've got a lot of the same type of players, Forsling. You can package some of these younger players or do whatever you need to do um, to find the player that you're looking for because everybody is looking for those players as well. So a tough call for Stan to come up there, but in my opinion, I think that the, the best player available uh, would be the defenseman Byram. Interesting stuff. And the thing is, it's great to be up to number three. They have the they they almost have the first pick of the second draft here exactly. after because we know Hughes and Kako are so good and they're going to go one two to Jersey and, and Rangers who both teams uh, caught a little bit of a break themselves. Troy, before we let you go, uh, we're going to be visiting with a couple of uh, the people who created a new documentary that's coming out called The Russian Five, the five players that the Detroit Red Wings kind of recruited to join them and eventually resulted in a couple of Stanley Cups. But you were on that Colorado team in 1996 that prevented them after a great Red Wings regular season uh, from getting to the Stanley Cup, beating them in the Western Conference Final. And I want to get some of your perspective here before we shift the conversation to uh, some of the creators of, of that piece about what the mindset was among the Avalanche players. That rivalry was so heated at the time, but the mindset and kind of the outlook of the Avalanche players toward those Red Wings players who were kind of trying to shed a quote-unquote soft label to them. And I was uh, anxious to see uh, if you could take us back to that and and kind of what the mindset was in that Colorado locker room uh, in their attitude toward that uh, Detroit team and those five in particular. You know what, Chris, that's where that rivalry started. There wasn't really um, a massive rivalry between those two teams prior to that, uh, just because, you know, it was a, a team that came from Quebec. Where that rivalry developed was the the hit um, on Chris Draper in in the uh, you know in that uh, in that playoff series by Claude Lemieux and you know the rivalry after that really heated up and but you know as a as a player playing against these guys um, you know over the years um, you, you look at the skill and what they brought to the table compared to you know maybe some other players that were in the game it was just amazing to watch those guys the chemistry uh that those guys had and you know whether they were soft or not i I don't think so i mean they just they brought a different skill level a different mentality and and, you know they were tough players in their own right first of all they, they came over here and in a lot of ways you know in the 80s they broke the ground um the groundwork to 
you know, have the Russian players come over here. And that wasn't an easy decision for them. It's a new culture. It's a new lifestyle. Um, but they were great players. And the NHL is the best league, and they wanted those great players. And it certainly brought a, a different dimension to how you had to play against those players uh, because of the skill and the, because of the puck control uh, game that they played. You know, prior to that, in a lot of ways, it was a dump and chase game where you get it in and hammer players on the boards and, and forecheck with the phys- physicality. And all of a sudden, you you can't get the puck from these guys. So the dimension that they brought was incredible. And, you know, as a player trying to figure out how to play against those guys, it took the league uh, several years to try and figure out, you know, how can we play against these guys because they don't play the same type of game that, that we do. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's kind of evolved into where this game is now, where it's puck possession rather than a dump and chase. Troy, thanks a bunch. We really appreciate it. We know uh, the daughter's probably about to enter the car after arriving from out of town. So... She's actually in the car. Oh, she is. <laughs> Boy, we kept, didn't we listen kept, to this. We kept you overtime. All right. We'll, we'll let you reconnect there. And uh, it's been a really a fascinating playoff to watch. And it's going to be a fascinating offseason moving forward here for the Blackhawks with the number three pick and with free agency. Thanks a bunch for the time. Uh, good catching up with you. Thanks, Troy. Scott and Chris, thanks for having me on. Always appreciate it, guys. Troy Murray joining us here on the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast as uh, he rolls out and uh, now uh, rolling in. Uh, we're visiting with a couple of guests now. Uh, Scott, tell us a little bit about uh, this new film slash documentary coming out and uh, a couple of the guests that we have here on the line. Yeah, we're going to be talking to uh, the producer, Jenny Fedorovich. I'm going to double-check their names because I'm going to be introducing the film and these folks uh, at the Athenium Theater in Chicago at 7.30. On Thursday, there's a screen. You could buy tickets. Uh, check out the Russian5.com and the director, Josh Reel. Congratulations on a great film. Oh, well, thank you so much, and, and thanks for having us yeah, on, the, on the show. I ab- appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for calling in. No, I, I really enjoyed it, and I guess one of the general reasons is because anyone who's a hockey fan and kind of even a history fan knows this story. It's been told before, but I, I like the way you guys approached it because you told it from getting the guys right to America how the team recepted them and kind of their experience in America in Detroit. Was that important to you to differentiate kind of between and from the ways that the story has been told before? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I grew up uh, uh, in the Metro Detroit area. um, And so I grew up with this story. Um, I knew kind of, you know, their impact beyond just what happened on the ice with, you know, them changing the game, as Troy was saying, uh, into the puck possession, but like their impact on the city of Detroit and the, and the culture of the Detroit Red Wings, I think, uh, is a very important aspect of this story. So I wanted to make sure that we covered it appropriately. Um, and, you know, by starting you in the history of Detroit when they were the Dead Wings and, and, and nobody wanted to come to Detroit uh, and, you know, adding Steve Eiserman and then, you know, Devilano and his scouts kind of hatched this plan of like, well, nobody thinks we can get these Russian players, but we have a, an owner who's willing to do whatever it takes. So what if, you know, and then the rest, as they say, is history. It's, it's yeah, The movie has a lot of heart, a lot of great moments. You guys, got, I already got my questions for the Q&A. You guys got all this amazing raw footage. But how many times does Darren McCarty steal the show? <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely the uh, the Colorado rivalry scene, and uh, probably again in the '97 playoffs or the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, Darren's just a 
He's a great guy. Um, and actually, don't tell Blackhawks fans for, that. Don't tell Blackhawks fans <laughs> that. Well, you know, they're going to have a chance if they come out to, to see him because he's coming with us to do the Q and A and to to get get a little taste of Darren McCarty's personality off the ice. Um, and actually, I think that's something that's really cool about the game of hockey that maybe you don't see in a lot of other sports. Is like, you know. It, like I know from our perspective in Detroit, we hated Chris Chelios, right? When he was a Blackhawk, but once he came to Detroit, we got to see kind of what was he, what was he about, who he is as a person. You know, all that hate kind of went away because at the end of the day, hockey players are some of the best people around. So, but yeah, Darren, he steals the show. Um, you know, and it's it's it was great to get him on camera. Um, yeah, we almost didn't. You know. Uh, there were a lot of questions about, you know, how's he doing? Is he uh, getting his life back together? And I'm I'm happy to say that he is because uh, he's just phenomenal in the film. One more thing on Darren real quick, Josh. I, I was actually emailing with Jeremy Roenick yesterday about what Darren was like yeah. to play against. And he goes, uh, he was an MFer because <laughs> he was tough and he could play the game too, as competitive as anyone, good, hard, honest player, great guy off the ice. So when you have a guy like that and you're making a documentary, you have him set up wherever, and you got the questions, like what does he like yeah. to work with? And I guess who else do you think you got really good stuff out of for the film? Well, you know, I, I think about Darren, you know, getting him sit down, you know, he was he was one of the loosest guys to sit down because, you know, the tricky thing with, with a film like this is very, very – Actually, almost nobody did I have a chance to sort of build a rapport with beyond, you know, the, the five, ten minutes of, that we met before we uh, got the shot going. So, you know, it's hard to kind of get people loosen, loosen up, and Darren was loose from the get-go. You know, I think the thing that made Darren such a, a pain to play against was, you know, he would drop the gloves with anyone, but not for himself, but to stick up for his teammates. He was just the... the quintessential team guy um and and as he sort of joined team russian five with us in, in production and in post-production he's sort of shown that same mentality and spirit where you know the weekend after we opened here in michigan darren actually came out and and it basically shook hands and and kissed babies and signed autographs with us all day at a shopping mall and it was like we were back in 1990s again um but as for you know who else we got great stuff i mean Jimmy Devolano, I think, really steals the show. Um, it, it, it's Devolano and McCarty that are uh, vying for attention throughout the process because they're just so good. Um, and, and Jeff Daniels gives some great commentary. Uh, so, yeah, it's hard to pick. Always got to be a celeb in there. Yeah, no, Jeff is yeah. definitely great. <laughs> so is Gretzky. I think we have uh, Jenny on the line now. Jenny. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Hi Jenny. Guys. Jenny. How are you? Uh, make- you know, this is really a tough Blackhawks crazy podcast because <laughs> we're talking Blues, a win away from the Stanley Cup final, and now the Red Wings. Although it was a fascinating story, and there's so many parallels between what the Red Wings did with their style of play, Scotty Bowman being a part of that, too. And it's yeah. led to three Stanley Cups here. And uh, But still... Blackhawks fans never want to hear too much about the Blues and Red Wings, but this is a fascinating watch. And yeah, and, and that's why, that's why Chicago's got to make the playoffs. Otherwise, stuff like this happens and gets on the air. But, Jenny, I want to make sure I'm, I'm saying your name right. Jenny Fedorovich, is that correct? Absolutely. All yeah, right. that's correct. Uh, producer nice of, Irish girl. Producer, <laughs> <laughs> producer of the Russian Five. Um, and, you know, I guess uh, a question for you, Jenny, and, and Josh, you could certainly tag on to this. 
just seeing the the way that the film has been received, I mean, you guys are doing really well at some of the big festivals, getting some awards. You get a great review from the LA Times and the Hollywood Reporter. Is this about what you figured, or you guys just wanted to do the best documentary you could, and this is kind of the, the after effect? Well, you know, I think deep down inside you hope that you're going to get that, but I don't think we ever set out thinking that this is going to be what it is. I'm going to be honest with you. At some point as a creative person, you just start doubting yourself. You've seen it so many times and you're like, is this good enough? Is this really, are people going to care about this? And you know what's the best thing is? is when you have Scotty Bowman looking at you and going, wow, you guys nailed it. Mm. When you have people like this, who it meant so much to, to feel like we nailed the story, that's the biggest compliment in the world. And of course, we felt comfortable. We're going to be in our backyard. We're going to open in Michigan. People are going to love it. As you said, this is our backyard. But when we go to L.A., when we go to Nashville, when we go to all these other places, when we're coming to Chicago, and people walk out and they say, I used to hate the wings. And now I actually love the story because it's taking me onto this journey. I think that's more of a reward for us, even though, you know, all the reviews and all that stuff is really great, too. Yeah, it's 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 uh, fascinating to see some of the old footage. And I want to talk about some of the, the, the visual arts, the, the stills in just a moment. But first of all, I want to go back to, you know, five years ago, uh, a local guy, Gabe Polsky, came up with the documentary Red Army, which was more of a focus on how the Russians in that red great Red Army team were trying to escape Tikhonov. And, and they had the carrot of the NHL, the greatest league in the world. Uh, it was more of a focus on their escape from Russia. Was that an inspiration for this about the other side of how uh, Detroit uh, pursued those five players in particular and and kind of a a viewpoint from their perspective? How much did that Red Army, if at all, influence you in taking this different kind of look at things? Well, I was, you know, in production. Uh, I had started the process actually when I first heard about Red Army and my heart sank because I, I thought it was maybe going to be the same story and the same approach. Uh, so when I saw uh, Gabe's film finally, I, it, I realized, okay, now, as you said, he's sort of looking at the, the 80s part of this the, the story. Um, and I had already decided that I wanted to kind of tell the story from the Red Wings perspective. Um, so actually having Red Army out there gave us a lot of freedom to, to, to feel secure and safe and not having to get too much into that, you know. Um, there was an early, you know, assembly where we kind of had some of that stuff in the first act and it just was slowing the film down, bouncing back and forth between Detroit and Russia and Detroit and Russia and Detroit and Russia. And so when we said, you know, what if we take it out and just say, if people really want to know this, Red Army's out there. They can go see it. And we'll just allude to it. And when we did that, it, it started, the movie started working. And so we're like, cool, all right. You know, Gabe did that work for us, so now we can just focus mm-hmm. on this part of the story. Um, and then, you know, ESPN did a, a film even that looks at even before Gabe starts. So between the three films, basically, you can watch the entire history of the Soviet hockey team from basically 1976 through 1998. And it was, it's, it's been game-changing just in terms of the impact on the NHL. When you look at the greatest player out there today, arguably in Alex Ovechkin, what would the league be without him? The visuals are great. The old video uh, that you were able to uh, recapture and supplement this story <laughs> is outstanding to look at. You see... Um, Fedorov getting a little goofy at times too, but but what I want to talk about is the animated stills that I feel yeah. I feel I've seen a lot 
somewhere else in some other productions in in the same kind of manner, perhaps the same graphic artist. Tell us more about going in that direction, because it certainly supplements the story and uh, perhaps the very talented team that you used for that. Well, I don't I don't like recreations. And so when Jenny and I first met to kind of discuss this film and but, you know, I was trying to convince her to come on board. This was one of the first questions she had for me, which was, how do you want to tell this this part of the story? And I told her, I was like, you know, I want to do something that's inspired by Soviet propaganda posters, right? Something sort of from that this background, the Cold War era. And Jenny said, you know, mixed with maybe like Sin City type animation. And then we, exactly. we were both just like, mm-hmm. yes, yes, that oh, is nice. it. Sort of this hybrid thing, taking something that, like you said, has a familiar feel, but then adding our own kind of twist to it to make it original. Um, and this was actually an international collaboration um, where we had a storyboard artist who works for Nickelodeon in Los Angeles. who's originally a, a Michigander. Uh, him and I worked uh, extensively to sort of create storyboards and then um, Jenny was able to bring in uh, an amazing group of artists from the Ukraine to do all the actual uh, drawings and then they sent those to Austin where we were finishing the film and we had an animator in Austin sort of put it all together and move it in 3D space um, and, and you know, Jenny really deserves all the credit for bringing that all together we were uh, you know trying to communicate uh with the Ukrainians was difficult, not just from a language perspective, but from a technical language perspective. And um, she kind of had to resolve all those issues after giving birth. <laughs> so, wow. Um, <laughs> Way to multitask. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> MVP. I used to take a conference call. You know, I was in labor for 51 hours. Oh, my God. You know, I got, I got a message where the guys was like, God, we really got to finish this. And this was January. My son was born January 14th. And they said, you know, the movie opens up in April, and we just can't get it together. I said, get me a phone and a computer. Let's do this. So <laughs> wow. I had a baby in my arms. And, you know, this, this animation was definitely. <laughs> you're you're a hockey player. You're a hockey player, Jenny. I think that's I am what a it hockey is. Player. <laughs> uh, one more from Scott. Yeah, and Jenny, just um, I guess in your role as a producer, are are you in charge of getting this type of raw footage that Chris and I have been talking about that plays such a big part in a film? I know for me, one of the ones I remember is when uh, Fedorov gets in his Corvette right outside the Joe for the first. That's maybe my favorite. Like just the fact that that footage exists is amazing. So, do you play a hand in getting that? How do you guys get all this stuff? Well, you know, this, uh, this was probably one of the most challenging things to get. I mean, I Nobody cares. Nobody wants to help you. You know, and after you get all of that, then you have to go and license it, which is a whole other endeavor is negotiating with the NHL and other people that are giving you the footage. I mean, really, it took us a really, really long time. And it's asking people continuously. It's like that footage when when they're on ice. You know, Josh made a good connection with Matthew Dendis, who gave us those tapes. And, you know, just knocking on doors, asking stations, what do you have? I mean, literally, at one point, Nobody was just was willing to help us, and you know we finally cracked the door open and went to Joe Louis Arena. They took us to the basement, showed us hundreds of boxes, said, "Here you go," and we moved <laughs> hundreds of boxes into my office, which just took over the whole entire space. And then we had to digitize all that footage. And you know, Josh did an incredible job just looking at all of it. I mean, it's just so much time to bring that together. You know, that's why when all our fans were getting frustrated that we're not delivering this film fast enough, I'm like. If you only knew what it 
put a film together. It's coming. Trust us, you know. Well, Jenny and so Josh. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Jenny. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's, uh, that getting that part that you guys are enjoying, enjoying quite a bit is actually a lot more challenging than getting interviews, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you both, Jenny and Josh, for your time. And again, uh, Rush, therussian5.com premiere in Chicago at the Athenium Theater on Thursday at 7.30. I'm really looking forward to introducing the film, and we're going to have a Q&A after with you guys to hear about all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and also Darren McCarty will be there to talk about what was going on now, on the Blackhawks fans can acquaint themselves with Darren McCarty one more time. So. <laughs> yes. Josh, Jenny, yes. th- thanks so much for joining us. It's a, a great piece of work. Congratulations on it, and uh, we hope it continues to get a great response. Thank, Thank you, you so much Thanks for, for having, having us. To having you with us. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Josh, okay. Jenny, joining us here on the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Yeah, I, I know we're talking a lot of blues and red wings here, but uh, it was, uh, it was uh, a turning point in the history of this league, and you get a behind-the-scenes look at some of those executives that Blackhawks fans may have not have been crazy about. You're Jimmy Lights, you're Jimmy Del- Devolano, who are big parts of this. But uh, I, I think if Blackhawks fans uh, give it a chance, uh, Scott, you were gracious enough to uh, forward a clip of, of the entire uh, uh, film to me, and uh, it brought, you see a little bit of Eddie Belfort, Chris Chelios when they yeah. were Blackhawks mixing it up with uh, with them and, and some of the behind the scenes footage is great so again the Russian five again Thursday you'll be part of a discussion starts at 730 starts at 730 yes really right. looking forward to it I think we both enjoyed the film and yeah I think any hockey fan Blackhawks fan it, you just it's a great story and you see a lot of great play i couldn't believe just watching it when they have the on the ice footage it's mm-hmm. just like today's game those russians playing you the see possession young, and the, the speed you see a younger barry smith on the bench too oh, next right. to Scotty that's right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but again it was uh whether you like it or not a bit of a stepping stone in terms of style of play as to what has made the blackhawks successful during their three cup runs Let's talk a little Blackhawks before we uh, before we sign off here. We can do that. You know, um, uh, again, more. I, I think as, as we get closer to this draft, and, and Troy was mentioning it, the Blackhawks seemingly can't go wrong with a handful of picks that are available. And you know, even though they have gone heavy on defense the last couple of years with Boquist and Bodan and Yoki Haru and Ian Mitchell. This Bowen Byram seems to be a little bit of a different breed where he can play both ends of the ice. There seems to be a little bit more of a push uh, in terms of what he has been able to accomplish with that Vancouver team in the Western Hockey League and the playoff that he's had. A guy with a little more size who can be trusted a little bit more immediately on both ends of the ice. But then again, you have your Dylan Cousins, a big center. I haven't seen or, or read a whole lot about Kirby Doc. I think the fact that he wasn't involved in the U.S. 18 tournament i mean uh hurt in terms of what we were exposed to him and then you have alex turcott who a lot of people are pumping up so uh, from i think it's going to come down to those four that that stan's going to have a decision to make on and again you know there's the possibility that once again he could go defense but when all said and done a year or two from now you hope you have your defense of the future set in place if you go that direction regardless of regardless of whether they do or not say they go center and look to beef up defensively in free agency with a veteran um, you're looking at at, uh, a transformation of the back end getting a little bit closer that we all anticipated yeah troy made a lot of sense to what he said about byram as troy tends to do and uh you know, he can be, and, he, and he, from what I've read and heard, he does seem to have the makings of a one-two defenseman, whether it's a year away or, or, or whenever. But again, I just I, I have no idea who they're going to take, just because they've taken uh, 
three guys and three defensemen in the first, uh, in the first, round, the last first round last two years plus Ian Mitchell in the second round mm-hmm. uh, two years ago. So I, you know that's a lot of defensemen. You hope one of them could could maybe play up there sometime shortly. You still have uh, you know Yokoharu, one of those guys does have some experience in in Rockford and he looks to be in the lineup. You see if he can slide up. But I, I, how can you? I mean I don't know how you can turn down a big center who can play both ways who can win face-offs who's physical like cousins mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't i just i have and, and turcotte people love and uh who you mentioned I, duck yeah mm-hmm. okay and i just i just don't know who they're gonna pick there's guys they're, they're big guys who can skate who have room to fill out cousins perhaps a little bit more so than doc we also have the world championships going on right now the u.s has punched its ticket to the quarterfinals as we tape here it's before the final preliminary round game between the u.s and canada which will basically decide group a by the time this podcast comes out it, it will probably be decided by then but regardless of that the u.s is in the quarterfinals and once again leading the way are the two blackhawks alex to with six goals to lead the u.s patrick kane with 10 points they got uh, a little bit of a, a stunner in that first game against host slovakia but uh, they have turned things around and regardless of what happens against canada they're in the quarterfinals which uh, begin on thursday we'll have a champion by sunday and uh, it's really impressive way the blackhawk americans have really been the push behind that red, white, and blue team. But once again, Strom, a part of that Canada team. You also have Gustafsson and Kruger, a part of Sweden, which you know is going to advance. Uh, Dominic Cahoon has played really well for a German team. That program since the Olympics has taken off. And then in the Czech Republic, you have a guy that the Blackhawks have the rights to and are uh, reportedly uh, about to assign in Dominic Kubalik, who has really been one of these guys who, like Cahoon, can be ready you know, Stan Bowman talked about this being one of the guys who who might be ready and will contend for a roster spot. A little bit older guy, but is uh, kind of you know uh, sharpened his blades overseas, and he's been a big factor for the Czech Republic team as well. So a lot of a lot of Blackhawks in the mix here, and it, it, even though there's not Blackhawks hockey, it's still fun to watch a handful of their players compete for their countries overseas here over the last couple of weeks. And I think on Team USA, they got a little revenge on Slovakia, right? So they're kind of secondhand with their three to one win over Germany. Uh, mm-hmm. They got Slovakia got uh, eliminated, yeah, I believe from uh, from Worlds there. Um, it, I think watching Kane with these young guys is very, is very is very kind of funny and interesting. He really he really likes that captain role, and yeah. he's kind of like he's the old guy. He, he's still the kid like is the toss, old guy now. Toss Kane doesn't feel like the old guy, or, or you know, seem like it doesn't seem like it's been that long. Right? Still kind of a young guy, and here he is with these kids who you continue to see these kids who say they grew up, you know, having Patrick Kane posters and watching all that, and he's kind of getting the kick out of. Uh, captaining them and russia has a much uh, much more formidable team this year with kucherov artem and isimov's a part of that team and then you have uh, finland henry yoki how are you playing for them uh he had an assist in uh their game as germany beat finland a little bit earlier on tuesday kevin lankanen has been great in goal for the finish uh, he gave up three against germany in that game on tuesday morning that's the most he has allowed in the tournament so far but he has been impressive that's certainly encouraging for the blackhawks uh, long-term goaltending picture. So has Alexei Gravel in the Memorial Cup playoffs as he plays for Halifax. He's been very impressive so far. The 19-year-old big goaltender that they drafted in the sixth round. You're seeing uh, Mackenzie Entwistle as well. Guelph went up against Halifax on Sunday.
Sunday. That was kind of a fun game to watch. Halifax, the host team in that Memorial Cup, got the upper hand in that contest. But both Gravel and Entwistle performing well uh, so far in the CHL playoffs for the Memorial Cup as uh, that will continue on over the course of the next week or so. So uh, as we turn the attention uh, back to the uh, the uh, Blackhawks in particular, you know, it's interesting when you look at the makeup of this team right now. Uh, this is the way they finished against Nashville. Kajula, Taves, Kane. Ideally, you'd probably like Kajula a little bit further down the lineup. Dabrinkit, Strom, Perlini. How much are you want as you go unrestricted free agent shopping? How much trust do you have in Brendan Perlini being a part of this regular rotation? How much do you trust Dylan Secura perhaps growing and being a part of this rotation? You know Saad is going to be there. You know Cahoon is going to be there. You know David Camp, when they sign him as a restricted free agent, is going to be there. Kunitz will be gone. Kruger may be gone. Uh, we don't know what the future of Anisimov is under contract, but uh, you don't know whether he will be shopped around. And then you take into effect uh, Dominic Kubalik, who we were just talking about perhaps being a part of this. So as you go unrestricted free agent shopping from a forward standpoint, there are a lot of pieces in terms of your wish list of how much trust you're going to put in guys like Perlini and Secura being a guys you can rely upon here in the coming year. And the same thing goes for, for the defense uh, with some of these guys. That's the one thing when you look at St. Louis in these playoffs. Their fourth line, I brought this up with Troy, their fourth line and Boston's fourth line. St. Louis's fourth line, Barbashev, Sunquist, and Steen. Steen's a veteran, but Barbashev and Sunquist are guys who are playing in their first or completing their first full seasons in the NHL after getting a taste partially in previous seasons. Can the Blackhawks find a couple of those players who are ready to make this uh, next step from within their system? And the same goes for Boston. Yeah, they got Joachim Nordstrom from the Hawks uh, via Carolina, but guys like Corrali and Nola Chari and uh, Wagner, who, who came from outside. But it's those depth guys that you can rely upon and trust on. That's where the Blackhawks are going to really need to make their improvements up front uh, here moving forward, even though everyone wants to sign the Panarins and the Duchesnes and the Skinners of the world. We might not get those top guys for those positions, but it does seem like an offseason where they're going to spend, where they're going to shop. Because I think, what, Chris, they have over 20, they're going to have over 20 million in cap space. And right? you have to keep it the Stroman to bring an extension in Yeah, you got extensions. You got, you got role players, bottom guys, you got to sign. You got to get those numbers in first. But, I mean, I don't see, we've talked about it before, I don't see any reason why you can't get a forward like Ryan Dezingle, who could play anywhere. You can even put him on a top line, top two lines. Uh, 49 goals the last two seasons. <laughs> I think I mentioned last time I watched them knock Char on his butt. Mm-hmm. Just physical, can, can do it all. I, and uh, I, I'd really like to see them add someone like him. And on defense, you could you can go get a Tyler Myers or maybe a little older veteran player in Alexander Edler, but that might be good to add him. And, and uh, There are a couple other options out yeah. there who, who you know, uh, aren't going to be the big splashes, but are serviceable could and help. can certainly serve a role. You know, I'm, I'm also uh, looking at, uh, we mentioned in the last podcast, you know, if you don't get those big splash guys, guys like Michael Furland of Carolina, but even you're also seeing what Marcus Johansson has done for Boston. Uh, guys who can kill penalties. Same with the Carl Haglins, fast guys 
who has won a cup before. There are other serviceable options. We're not necessarily saying we're rooting for the Blackhawks to go this way or they will go that way. It's just that if they don't make these big splashes, which would require putting yourself in a little bit of a financial bind moving forward like they have in the past, you don't want to put yourself in that corner once again. So just some food for thought. Uh, CLTV stardom coming up for both of us here. Yes, yes. You have uh, one coming up tonight, Tuesday night. As no, we I'm sorry, a week. Uh, my text oh, you're was going inaccurate. a week from Tuesday. A week from uh, Tuesday, yeah. We were originally supposed to appear in tandem. <laughs> Um, on on Monday, but uh, I would rather listen to a recap of Lori Lightfoot's inauguration speech uh, than uh, watch us. Yeah, and, no, and, I'm going to go home and watch it again <laughs> so today, actually. I'll, I'll uh, be on on Thursday on Sports Page at uh, 6 o'clock, 6.30, talking a little Blackhawks offseason. You'll be there um, on a uh, week from Tuesday, a week from today. So, And I was looking for forward there. to both of this going on, and you know, 100% of the Blackhawks Crazy podcast on TV. In tandem, like you said, and, it, and to clarify, it was not CLTV's fault. Uh, right, someone, one of the higher ups, did not let them know they were re-airing that special. And uh, we talked about uh, the Russian Five documentary. I have some uh, a viewing tip for you as well. People talk about how HBO is going to crumble once Game of Thrones is now done, but they do a lot of great stuff from a sports standpoint. And if you haven't caught it yet, it debuted a week ago today. What's my name, Muhammad Ali? two-part, three hours in total. It's great, outstanding stuff in his voice totally through the years about his journey, what he faced in the ring, out of the ring, and some of the old talk show clips are just classic when he was at his all-time best, talking the way he did, old Dick Cavett show clips. Um, It's outstanding. So if you haven't watched Muhammad Ali, what's uh, what's my name, Muhammad Ali, and what's my name comes from... When the old Chicago boxer, Ernie Terrell, refused to call him Muhammad Ali in one of his first fights back, he kept calling him Cassius Clay. When right. he got Terrell in the ring, after every punch, what's my name? What's my name? And he my ended gosh. up pounding Classic. Ernie Terrell, who wound up being a, a great Chicago boxing promoter here. So check it out if you can on HBO. What's my name? You got anything else coming up here besides your hosting duties? No, hosting duties and family uh, trip with my wife's family to Lake Geneva. How long is that going to last? Just a couple days. Are you you out the rest of the summer for podcasts or no? It's a three-month trip. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'm going solo here. No. Little trip. All right. Uh, We'll look for your work on uh, the Blackhawks Crazy Facebook page. And also uh, follow Scott and myself on Twitter. And also... um, also on WGN as the Chelsea WGNRadio.com as the Chelsea blogger. Follow Scott on Twitter at Scott King Media. I'm at Bowden Tweets. We're tweeting about uh, world championship stuff, draft stuff for the time being, Good Stanley tweets. Cup Good stuff. Tweets. And uh, you're counting on the Blues finishing things off tonight, too? I think so. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a pretty weak uh, Sharks team now. Yeah, they'd better. But they've shown they can win on the road, too, as well. All right. Even though it was a heavy Blues and Red Wings part of this Blackhawks crazy Doing podcast. Different. I liked we it. threw some stuff in. It. So uh, thanks to uh, the director, the producer of that, Josh and Jenny. Also, our thanks to Troy Murray for joining us. Joe Romano behind the glass as well. We got him in person here today. Live. We're I'm not just sending him stuff. So uh, we appreciate him getting the folks on the phone for us as well. And we thank you for watching. We ask you to subscribe uh, to the Blackhawks crazy podcast on iTunes and leave a review. We'll be coming your way once again, again I suppose, in a couple of weeks. And we'll have a Lake Geneva review from Scott as well. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon on the Black House Crazy Podcast.